Getting a good night's sleep can be much easier said than done, but don't worry, because our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to help you unwind and sleep harder than all-star voters slept on Bam Adebayo. Sleep PM bath salts fuse superior CBD and melatonin with a mixture of Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bathtub into a luxury spa experience and give you the relaxation you desperately deserve. And to make it even easier to relax, regroup, and recharge, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off on your next order when you use the promo code MBA at checkout. Once again, that is CBDMD.com, promo code MBA for 25% off your purchase of Superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 946 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the show. Most of the episode today will be myself and Caitlin Cooper of Indy Cornrows, who covers the Indiana Pacers, talking about Nate McMillan. She covered Nate for four seasons back in Indiana, so some interesting insight there from her. And she uh, is definitely an X's and O's person and all kinds of scheme stuff, some personality management stuff. Um, just good insight on McMillan that I don't, I don't necessarily have firsthand experience. So that was a fun interview, and you'll hear that momentarily. Also, it sort of harkens back to the offseason, in which I talked to people about Gallinari and his previous stop in Oklahoma City and Rondo in Los Angeles and McDonald's in Sacramento. It's just good um, resource to have someone who covered them day to day. Um, I do cover the league as a whole, but um, I trust people that cover these people, uh, you know, close and personal every single day, more more so than myself. So good, um, good background here and a fun conversation to be had momentarily. Also, I want to remind you that there was a two-part episode with myself and Brian Schroeder up on the feed this week talking about the NBA draft uh, and two pretty long parts to try kind of carry you over the All-Star break before the Hawks return to action on Thursday. So that's fun and still available in the feed if you want to subscribe and check out that part of the podcast. Okay, there is a little bit of news to hit on before we get to Caitlin. Um, Cam Reddish is going to be out for a little bit of time here. He missed the six games before the All-Star break with what the team was calling right Achilles soreness. And then on Monday, the Hawks announced that he actually had a non-surgical procedure over at Emory in Atlanta. He's now going to be in a walking boot for a little bit of time. And he'll be reevaluated in, quote, approximately one week, end quote. Travis Schlenk then told the Hawks flagship radio station 929 The Game in Atlanta on Tuesday that it was a PRP injection that Cam had, which is not a surprise necessarily, but that's now more specific, of course, than what the Hawks actually announced. And also, Schlenk said that they estimate he'll be missing at least two weeks of action. Again, not a huge surprise because uh, being reevaluated in a week does not mean back in a week. So two weeks wouldn't be so bad for Reddish. It could have been much worse. Achilles are definitely tricky. So keep an eye on him, obviously. He's had a rough year offensively in particular this year. And then, of course, right as um, they could have used him even more the last few games with Hunter out, he's gotten this injury and it's kind of, he's kind of flared up. On the bright side, the Hawks do have Bogdanovich back, so their wing rotation is a little bit deeper than it was for the last six games. Um, at the same time, you're rolling with now Bogdanovich, Herter, Tony Snell, and Solomon Hill as your four primary wings at the moment coming out of the All-Star break. You can use Skylar Mays, of course. You could go small with Rondo or Goodwin next to Trey, but um, obviously the Hawks missing their top two wing defenders in Hunter and Reddish is not what you want. Of course, Hunter's been awesome this year overall, but even with Reddish's offensive struggles, his defense is definitely important. They could have used him a couple times in, during this absence. Um, on as a sort of a primary guy against point of attack guys on the offensive end of the floor. So keep an eye on that and uh, still have, of course, high hopes for Reddish long term. And uh, hopefully this is going to be enough to get him healthy for the stretch run of the season. Also, quickly here before we get to Caitlin, the Hawks do 
Return to Action on Thursday evening. This will be the last show that I do before then, unless something crazy happens. So a little bit of a preview. No point spread available just yet from our friends at BattleLine.ag because it's still two days away as I'm recording this on Tuesday. But the Hawks will travel to Tampa, take on the Raptors. That's a very strong, strange sentence to say. Yes, they will go to Tampa to play the Toronto Raptors. That's always very strange. At any rate, the Raptors have actually lost four of their last five, and they're 17-19 and 19 overall. They had two games postponed before the break, and they had two pretty ugly losses with a bunch of absences due to protocols. Um, so that's not really indicative of the way they were playing before that. Toronto was actually bouncing back. They had a really rough start to the season, then improved greatly, and then, of course, tailed off with the uh, roster issues they've had at this point. It remains to be seen who's going to be available on both sides, I think, especially on the Toronto side here. Um, but for the record, the Raptors are 10th in offense right now. They're 18th in defense. They're 9th in net rating. So a pretty good team, despite the fact that they're only 17 and 19 overall this year. 538's projection has the Raptors by 5. They'll be favored in this game unless unless there's a lot of injuries. Uh, you would expect Toronto to be favored in the point spread if they are even relatively healthy at home in this spot, especially with the Hawks still playing without Reddish and Hunter, of course. So uh, we'll see what happens. And the Hawks, it's obviously a very winnable game for Atlanta. And they come back home over the weekend for a home back-to-back on Saturday and Sunday. Not a whole lot of those in my time covering the Hawks. A, a weekend back-to-back at home is pretty rare. So we'll see how that goes. I'll be, uh, I'll be on the ground for those, and that'll be interesting to kind of see. But, uh, of course, the Hawks had that interesting run at the beginning here. And then that uh, treacherous eight-game road trip is looming later on in March. And also... As the Hawks take the floor on the 11th, that'll be two weeks until the trade deadline. So all kinds of stuff to cover in the coming days. But uh, the return of the, they'll definitely be returning to action on Thursday. I'm looking forward to covering some basketball after a week-long hiatus. And, uh, of course, we'll be here after the game with all of that. So, again, this is the last podcast, barring some big news, before that game. So I will return to the pod after that game on Thursday. And then I'll have our typical breakdown episodes after the games on Saturday and Sunday as well. So... We'll get to Caitlin Cooper in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. For quite a while now, I've been telling you about Built Bar, and Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It's not really up for debate, it's absolutely the case, but in case you don't know about it already, I'm going to tell you that Built Bar is delicious, it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's high protein, high fiber, it tastes amazing, and it has 100% chocolate on all bars. And now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the absolute best. It is Built Bar Madness here in the month of March, and one of today's matchups that you can vote on is banana nut bread against toffee almond. Now, with all due respect, toffee almond, and I actually enjoy that flavor quite a bit, banana nut bread is one of my favorites, if not my favorite overall, so that's where I'd be leaning. I gotta be honest with you about that, but it's still interesting to be able to vote on all of these matchups, so check out all of that at BuiltBar.com and vote your own conscience, your own taste palette today. In fact, you can also use at Built underscore Bar on Twitter to vote, and remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. That is LOCKEDON20. Get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchups and who will become the best tasting protein bar from the Built Bar line. One more time, it is BuiltBar.com. LOCKEDON20 is the promo code and 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making ways of bringing more confidence to the bedroom, and it's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets combat all forms of ED and can help men gain extra confidence for when it's time to perform. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so there's no visit to doctor's office of any kind, no awkward conversations, no waiting line in the pharmacy, and ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll get your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. 
Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. If you don't like swallowing pills, there's no problem here. Blue Chew's sildenafil and tadalafil are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are also made in the USA and they prepare and ship direct so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So, if you can benefit from all of the extra comments that it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And on top of that, we have a special deal for our listeners. You can try BlueChew for free when you use the promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. Just pay the $5 in shipping. That is BlueChew.com, promo code LOCKEDON to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. I am joined now by genuine Pacers expert, Caitlin Cooper. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, as I said before I brought you in, I, I try to have people on that are smarter than I am about stuff that I don't know that much about. And I know a little bit about, about the new interim coach of the Atlanta Hawks, but not as much as you do because you watched him coach for, I believe, four seasons in Indiana. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, four. Four interesting seasons. So uh, <laughs> I will definitely ask you about like all kinds of stuff, offense, defense, some general approach stuff. I want to I want to start with the offense uh, just because that's kind of the side of the ball that the Hawks are leaning toward. Um, they have an offense for a superstar, all that stuff. So I'm interested to see what you uh, think about his offensive approach. Uh, I will I will start I will start you with a question, and you can take it wherever you want to go. Um, pace is a question that I get that I get a lot about Nate McMillan because Indiana was pretty slow during his tenure, and even before that, when he was elsewhere. Um, pace was not always super high. So is that a function of the talent that he had with the Pacers or is that a philosophical thing in your mind? Because the Hawks usually have been playing pretty fast in the last couple of years. Right. So I think it's probably a little bit of both. It's pretty interesting because when the Pacers hired um, Nate Bjorkren, he talked about wanting to play with pace. I mean, every coach does that whenever they're introduced. That's kind of like the media day <laughs> yep. cliche. But in the G League, when Nate Bjorkren coached at his four different teams, every single one of those teams was a top five team in pace. So it was kind of my assumption that, hey, you know, if, if this is going to turn around from where it was under Nate McMillan, it probably will. And so far this season, they really haven't seen that much of an uptick in pace. But yet... Um, watching the G League bubble, the Maddians run the exact same offensive sets as the Pacers do. Like the playbooks are identical. And yet the Maddians were the fastest paced team in the G League down there in the bubble as of like a week ago. I didn't check that number this morning. So then it makes you believe that, hey, you know, maybe this is more a personnel situation with having two centers. Um, when Nate McMillan was the coach, most of the time he talked about, you know, we want to create pace with our defense. And certainly in the first year, after the Paul George trade, when Victor Oladipo really exploded on the scene, a lot of Victor's game was built off of his ability to get into passing lanes and get steals. And that's really how they converted offense. They were near the top of the league and points off turnovers and just kind of getting um, early opportunities that way. It wasn't so much that Nate McMillan, I wouldn't expect that he'll run a lot of like quick hitters. Um, their main one that they ran last year was, was like a wide pin down for Sabonis to set for Doug. That was just real quick, come across the top and that's a three, but generally speaking, it wasn't like when you watched, um, Dave Yeager with the Kings, where some of that was born out of leak outs. They were a team that very much wanted to run off of closeouts. Um, whereas for the Pacers, Nate was mostly if we're going to run it's going to be because we got stops it wasn't because it was going to be a product of what their offense was and, and as you say that predated even before he started coaching the, the Pacers he's never coached a team that's been up there in pace so it doesn't seem like from an offensive standpoint that that's something that's really in his wheelhouse. Yeah, it definitely feels that way um, from the outside. And, you know, obviously this is a different situation altogether because he's coming in midseason. Uh, you know, they gave him 
you know, he said he's coached the, he's coached the team for five games, uh, all as all as an interim, but three times before, while Lloyd Pierce was still on the staff. Now two times since then, he has the All Star break to uh, sort of you know make some adjustments. But as you know, um, you can't remake the entire system in a week. That's not going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to sort of see how he could put his mark on this team so far. Um, but I will say, you know. You mentioned the Patriots playing two centers, basically. Um, the Hawks have two bigs as well. Uh, John Collins, definitely more of a four in some ways, but plays some five, and they play through them in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, Sabonis is much different, but is that a situation where are they going to play through the bigs, potentially? Like, there's, you know, I, I got asked about offensive rebounding as well, because the Hawks have been really good on the offensive glass this year. That happened a little bit in Indiana as well. Do you think that's a potential point of emphasis, and was it that in Indiana? I guess the same question, almost, is is because Sabonis is really good at that, or is that a personnel, is that sort of a schematic thing? Right, so I think, generally speaking, if you look around the NBA, a lot of teams are relying more heavily on running delay actions, where the big is up top. Um, in transition and, and getting into DHOs that way. So I, I would suspect, suspect that you might see some of that. I mean, Sabonis is just so good at controlling every aspect on the floor, which is why it wasn't surprising that that continued under Nate Bjorker. And I think that most coaches that would have come into that situation, if you have a player that, that can um, has that good a court mapping skills, that's probably how you're going to use him. But I think one of the hallmarks of the Nate McMillan teams was just how much they didn't really use multiple ball handlers. Um, if you look at the time of possession last year for Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, even in the playoffs, the only person that had a higher time of possession in the first round last year was Luca. Um, and that's coming off of, you know, where he was in Milwaukee, where he was mainly a spot up option. And then he comes over and, and Nate McMillan runs an offense that definitely, whether it's the starting point guard or the reserve point guard, that guy's going to have the ball in his hands a lot of the time. They didn't run a lot of different screening combinations or, or run multiple ball handlers. And that's definitely something interesting to look at with Atlanta, because I'll be interested to see as time goes on, if, if Bogdan Bogdanovich ends up being a guy that mainly gets run off of staggers and, and off ball screens, like what Nate McMillan did with Doug McDermott and with Boyan Bogdanovich, or if he gets to do more of some of the stuff that he did with the Kings where he was on ball more and, and could spell De'Aaron Fox from having to run all the offense, like what you could do with Trey Young if he was, you know, prodded a little bit to to do a little bit more off-ball movement when he isn't the one running the show, but that never really was a part of what Nate McMillan did. Um, on the rebounding side of things, that was something that Nate McMillan harped about um, pretty much every year at the beginning of the season, multiple times throughout the season. The Pacers have not been a very – they weren't a good rebounding team last year. They were dead last in the, bu- in the bubble without Sabonis, an opponent offensive rebounding rate. This year they've been pretty dreadful. Obviously, Nate McMillan's no longer there anymore. But um, some of that was a product of their wings. If you looked last year, I actually wrote a piece of people are interested in it and why they struggled. They really struggled to corral long rebounds and getting into that rotation on the weak side in order to box out and get some of those. So, I mean, if it's the Hawks, I think it would be somewhat more of a Hawks personnel thing, but it's definitely a pet peeve of McMillan's. It was something that he brought up on the regular, like we need to gang rebound. We need to have the wings smash down and rebound. So definitely something to watch out for there. 
Yeah, I can I can already tell a little bit with um, the way that he's spoken in the media in the limited time so far. That's going to be a focus of his. Uh, you, this is one of my questions earlier, kind of that I was going to ask about. Now I'll just do it now. Um, you mentioned Brogdon's time of possession and kind of how he had the ball a lot. Obviously, Trey Young is well known to have the ball a lot. Uh, this is a situation where you know he is such a ball dominant player. Uh, a lot of complaints that I've heard from fans anyway, and some media people as well, is that he's not very good off the ball and they don't really use him off the ball very well. Uh, my stance basically is that I think that a lot of that is that he doesn't necessarily want to play off the ball um, or that he's not necessarily given a ton of effort off the ball. But is that going to be something you're keeping an eye on um, from afar here in that now that McMillan has, you know, a unquestionable number one option as his point guard, lead guard that has the ball in his hands, like what do you think that will look like? Right. I mean, and that's that's what's interesting, because some of the criticisms that I saw of Lloyd Pierce that you're mentioning, like Trey Young didn't do a lot off ball yep. or that they ran more vanilla sets where it's just double drags and a lot of standstill around that. Those are the exact same criticisms that Nate <laughs> got for <laughs> the past so four funny. years, like that, it that, it, you know, it wasn't like I said, it wasn't a lot of multiple ball handlers. And then the idea, I mean, I harped on this a lot that the spacing has to be continuous. It can't just be. And even I, I watched a little bit of when the Hawks played the Magic before this break, and and even then, with and like you say, like you're not going to completely change the offensive system five games in when you when you've just taken over as head coach, but still, it's very much like what you saw with the Pacers. It's it's running high pick and roll or running the double drag, and then the guys standing in the corners are very literally standing into the corners instead of you know maybe lifting up into the eye line of Trey Young as he penetrates or cutting as he penetrates to to kind of relieve some of that pressure and that was something that was constantly there for Nate McMillan as well that like they didn't run a lot of secondary action or or weak side action that made it easier for drivers to get there it was you know we are going to run I mean people called it this a lot that it, it was they were good at being vanilla we are going to run a very basic stagger a very basic pick and roll and we're going to drill the options that we have out of those sets. There wasn't going to be a lot of extra fluff. It was kind of what you take is what you get. And and some of that backfired a bit in the playoffs, I would argue. But yeah, I would expect that Trey Young's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, as has already been the case. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny to hear you say that because I had the same thought. Obviously, I'm not as well versed in the Pacers stuff as you are, but I've, I've read your stuff. I've read Jay Michael and watched the Pacers myself. And, you know, there were a lot of Hawks fans kind of rejoicing that offense was going to change now. And my whole thought was, I'm not sure it's going to uh, maybe obviously some tweaks here or there will definitely happen, but it's not like Nate McMillan is well known as his, as this offensive innovator genius guy. Uh, that's not really, he has lots of strengths and we'll get into some of those, but that is not his rep. And it sounds like that rep is well-earned. Not that he's not that he's a terrible offensive coach or anything, but he's not someone that's going to be Mike D'Antoni on the offense end. <laughs> right. Like. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, whenever the, it became time for the Pacers to, um, start interviewing candidates one of the first people that got connected to them was Mike D'Antoni and I did a bunch of coaching profiles over the summer and one of the things that I mentioned was that there was just so many more baked like some of the stuff the Rockets were running was the exact same stuff the Pacers were running they just had way more wrinkles within it so Mm. it wasn't so that teams could load up and know oh okay you've run you know uh they all the Pacers will do something where it's a stagger or they would under McMillan where it was a stagger and Doug McDermott would curl the first screen and then Justin Holiday would turn around and fly off the second. And that was literally the only wrinkle they ran out of a stagger. So they did it, they did it, they did it. When it gets time to be in the playoffs, teams know, oh, they're going to come off that stagger or we're just going to switch. And then that's going to force Doug McDermott to have to ISO at the top or whatever. When 
the Rockets ran that exact same thing, but they might have the screener turn around and screen for the screener to go catch a lob or, you know, whatever it may be. So there wasn't a lot of that with McMillan, as you say. Um, it's interesting with Trey Young because it seems like there was some momentum from him that he really likes Nate McMillan, which, you know, you yeah. want from a star player. You want him to be happy with the coach. But um, it just seems like Lloyd Pierce and Nate McMillan have a lot in common at, from – there are coaching philosophies and styles. So it's interesting that he's latched on. Maybe it just has to do with the reputation that Nate McMillan's established for, you know, creating winning teams that he got a lot of wins out of them in the regular season and has more experience than Lloyd Pierce. But I found that interesting when I read that Trey Young was really supportive of, of McMillan moving into that interim role. Yeah, I, I had the same thought. You know, I, I've not heard that, but I've, of course, read it in The Athletic, and it, it does make sense. And uh, I think they also cited that Nate played in the league, and that was a point that uh, that Trey seemed to like. And, you know, yeah. it's interesting. You know, some of that's potentially that assistant coaches are not having to play the heavy in the way that head coaches are, and maybe they're predisposed to being more liked by players. And it's very interesting. I, I thought that I thought, I thought the same thing because McMillan, and I'll ask you about this later on, you know, kind of the way that ended in Indiana and some of the reporting that guys didn't necessarily love playing for him by the end. Um, that's interesting to me, uh, but I do want to get into that and more in a second, but first a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Bet online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, even without football here to entertain all of us. There's the NBA, of course, on this podcast. There's college basketball. There's the NHL, in addition to soccer and tennis and auto racing and golf and everything that you could possibly imagine to wager on in the sports world. And on top of that, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, entertainment, and reality TV. There are real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, and the props are some of the best stuff if you are not necessarily into games and uh, handicapping all of that. There's uh, individual points and individual rebounds and assists and all kinds of uh, subplots that you can take advantage of at BetOnline.ag in the props section. In fact, BetOnline has you covered for all the news scores and the odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website right now or use a mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag. BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts and use the promo code locked on to get that fantastic 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. One more time, it is promo code locked on for the welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Kalen. Um, well, let's just continue with what we're getting into there. I was going to say this for the end, but I guess I'll ask you now. Um, the end in Indiana got covered pretty well, but, you know, he had this, like, sort of pseudo-contract extension that happened. Uh, you can explain that to me more if you'd like. And then was let go very shortly after that. Um, and there was some reporting out there. Um, obviously, I'm not putting that on, on you, but it was out there that some guys didn't necessarily love playing for him by the end, that he may have just kind of lost the locker room at some point. Uh, what is your sort of understanding of the way that it ended, and is that going to be a concern moving forward with, obviously, him taking over a young team here? Right. So it was all very weird, obviously. I mean, it came out in the aftermath. I believe Bob Kravitz from The Athletic reported that essentially Nate McMillan's contract was going to expire. So when it was announced that he had the pseudo extension, um, it was basically so that they would have a coach through the bubble. <laughs> yeah, like, that makes sense. I mean, I mean it, that's, that's basically crazy, what it was. Yeah. And then they guaranteed the upcoming year of his contract with like a team option. So, I mean, it, it was very like, you know nonsensy um nonsensical in some respects when they announced it and it was kind of weird that they even announced it like it felt kind of like okay if you were just going to guarantee the year you probably could have done that quietly without um doing a team press release and then letting him go two weeks later especially because there was already tons of rumors circulating that he was on the hot seat so then they come out hot and are like oh we've 
you know, we've renewed Nate McMillan. He's on an extension and it wasn't really an extension. So I feel like they could have handled that a lot better. Um, but yes, after, by the time the playoffs were over, like it was interesting the day they announced the extension, Malcolm Brogdon came out and was like, Oh great. Coach gets another year. Like we need another year to prove what we can do when we're fully healthy. And then it kind of came out after the fact that, there was some tensions there that Malcolm Brogdon wasn't super happy with the system. I mean, I had heard from a third party source that there was tensions between certain players in the locker room and that Nate McMillan wasn't doing a lot to mitigate it, that he didn't want to treat players differently. Um, There was players that were frustrated that they weren't switching on certain actions against the heat, especially on DHOs that he was staying very rigid and, you know, what won for us in the regular season, we need to keep doing because that's who we are. And there were players that thought they needed to make adjustments and all of that played into what their coaching search ended up being. I mean, when they hired Nate Bjorkren, they wanted somebody who was going to be more adaptable and they wanted somebody, I mean, the main focus that they brought up was that, Um, It was going to be somebody who could relate to today's players that was going to be a modern communicator. And, you know, Nate McMillan has the reputation clear back of, you know, with the Blazers of being Sarge, that he's somebody that's going to get accountability, but doesn't necessarily um, know how to massage egos and really. And now it kind of feels like the pendulum swung because the Pacers have a buddy in certain respects. Like you're not going to hear Nate Bjorker and criticize players. Most of the time he's going to take, responsibility for things on what they could have done better he's you know he's never going to question their effort publicly like none of that's going to happen so definitely two different sides of the coin between the two nates yeah it's interesting because you know on one hand i'm sure you've read the the hawks locker room stuff and it, it was not going well by the end by all counts um and you know some of that is that you know players didn't seem to love the style in which things were being com- communicated, which raised my eyebrows because McMillan, like you kind of noted there is seen more as a pretty straight shooter. That's not going to give in a lot and not be a player's coach, so to speak. On the other hand, the accountability factor is there. So a lot of this stuff is like typical locker room, locker room stuff, but uh, the Hawks are an interesting situation because again, he's coming in mid season and they just had kind of a falling out with a coach that um, they didn't seem to love that approach, but it seems like they're kind of similar. Not all the way around, and we don't know for a fact on all of that stuff, but it seems like, at least publicly, and McMillan, you know, to his credit, has been very deferential and very complimentary of Pierce, even after, like, after the last couple games when Pierce has been gone for a couple days, he's still kind of gone out of his way to credit Pierce. So I'm wondering, I mean, it seems like those guys are close. It's just going to be interesting to see how this style really maybe isn't the same, or maybe that it just is a new voice they needed. Right. And, you know, Nate McMillan's a complete class act. Like I would totally give him all of the respect for that. That's the same way he responded when he took over after Frank Vogel. I mean, Frank Vogel wasn't fired. They just didn't renew his contract. And then obviously Nate McMillan moved one chair over and he never had a negative word to say about Frank Vogel either. Um, Yeah, I mean, in some respects, I think that's what it is. I mean, even when the Pacers let go of Frank Vogel, it was, you know, we needed a new voice. And in in the immediacy of that season, you could see in certain respects that there were guys that, you know, needed to hear when they to be called out when they weren't doing things right. Not that these things were happening publicly, but that you could tell from Larry Bird's perspective that they thought they needed somebody that was going to be no nonsense, bring some of the old school approach where there would be greater accountability where there had been some lapses um, on the defensive end that Nate McMillan was hopefully going to be able to refine. And even though Frank Vogel was a really good coach, you just, you know, the stale voice thing I think is a thing. I mean, that didn't go (laughs) over very well with the way that um, 
Larry Bird explained it, certainly, that, you know, just guaranteeing that after three years, you know, you can't have a coach more than three years because their voice grows stale. Like, that seems kind of silly to me, but I do think that there's something of, you know, a new coach bump where, you know, guys have tuned out on the old one. And then even if their voices are similar, it's just that it's it's the new thing. Yeah, there's a there's a reason why there's so much churn in the NBA, and there's very few coaches that last more than you know three or four years with the one team, and that's part of it. I think you know you won't be surprised to hear that the Hawks uh, have used the term "new voice" uh, quite a bit in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, uh, and you know that it makes sense on some level. Like you know, if it wasn't working, you want to change it. It doesn't necessarily mean that those guys are like polar opposites in terms of their way they'll approach things, but they're not going to be the same person. You might get some more buy-in, and you know, obviously there's some coincidence here, but the Hawks did come out and win the first two games without um without Pierce with, with McMillan I, I think that's definitely overrated in terms of like the reaction to it it was like the world is saved but they did play inspired they played with energy they played well in those games so the new coach bump as you put it is probably going to be in place for a while we'll see how that we'll see how that goes of course but it's really uh I've not covered a during the season coaching change since I've been doing this more full-time so it's new for me I'll say that yeah, and the interesting thing with Nate, Mil- Nate McMillan is exactly what you said right there. I mean, over the four years, I rarely ever questioned if the Pacers were going to come out and give effort. Like, that seems, again, another cliche thing, but they were a try-hard team, which limited somewhat what they were going to be able to do in the playoffs. I think those teams struggle to find an extra gear when their opponents are trying just as hard as they are. But the product that they put out on the floor was one that you could enjoy watching because you knew that, you know, they weren't just going to roll into a random city on a Tuesday and not show up and be able to win a game. I mean, Nate McMillan could definitely coach in the regular season. He's proven that. I mean, last year they had tons of injuries beyond just Victor Oladipo not returning until January with the ruptured surgical repaired tendon in his leg like I mean they had lots of injuries where he had to coach a lot of different combinations and they had a better record at this point than the Pacers have right now while being without TJ Warren and Karis LeVert so um, I think that's definitely a feather in his cap yeah, it sounds like it, and that's all. That's also what I have heard dating back to. That makes sense, and uh, the Hawks maybe need that. They have not necessarily. It's a young team. It's not necessarily proven that they can be consistent. They've had some highs and some lows this year, but some of the uh, uneven performances may have contributed to the change in itself. So having McMillan as sort of a stabilizing force does make some sense. Um, I want to make sure that I don't forget to ask you about some defensive stuff, so I'm going to do that now. Um, obviously, Indiana was pretty good, league average or better, in all four seasons with him at the at the helm defensively. Personnel cannot be divorced from that, but they were pretty solid to pretty good. The Hawks, of course, are pretty bad right now defensively, and also personnel matters there, too. Uh, They are better this year than they were previously. They have Capella in the mix, but... There are some scheme challenges with these with this defense, particularly with Trey Young and Didel Gallinari, have two pretty big weaknesses. So I guess broadly speaking, what do you make of McMillan as a defensive coach? Because the numbers are pretty good. Right. I mean, some of it's difficult to parse because even when the Pacers moved on from Frank Vogel, like Larry Bird said, well, Dan Burke was in charge of a lot of our defense. I mean, Dan Burke was the Pacers defensive coordinator. He's now with the Sixers. I think that Nate McMillan knows how to coach defense because that predated when he was with the Pacers. But um, I think that Dan Burke's fingerprints were over all over a lot of it. Um, individually, they got good development out of guys that 
um, prior to coming to the Pacers, didn't exactly have reputations as good defenders. Boyan Bogdanovich really refined his footwork, I would say, on the perimeter once he came over from the Wizards to the Pacers. Um, TJ Warren didn't have a great reputation as being with the Suns, and and that kind of would shape the way that I would look at certain offseason moves that the Pacers would make because when I knew that they were getting TJ Warren, I knew what his reputation was, but I'm like, I'm not worried about this because they they generally tighten the screws on guys that have been deemed as leaky defenders. So from an individual standpoint, you might see stuff there. Scheme-wise, Nate McMillan is very reluctant to um, cross-match guys. I mean, it took almost half a year last year before it was like, you know, we don't want to displace Miles Turmer's rim protection, even though it might be better for, you know, him to guard Giannis so that the Pacers have somebody to catch his first step and, and Sabonis could guard Brooke Lopez or, you know, maybe you're playing like the Cavs and it would be better for miles to be out on the perimeter playing against Kevin love so that Sabonis could be whenever they still had Andre Drummond could be guarding Andre Drummond. And it took, he was very reluctant to do switching cross matches like that. He's very reluctant to switch in general. And that's where some of the frustration came, but now like looking back on it, I signed, I, kind of miss some of that boring stuff I guess is the way you could term it because you know as the Hawks fans know the Pacers played a lot of box and one against the Hawks two varying levels of success they play a lot more zone now Um, whereas before for the Pacers it would have been you know we guard our positions we fight over we funnel we run this drop coverage you know what we're going to do but we're going to be really good at it Um, and, and sometimes there was lapses where I wished that they had been a little bit more proactive. I mean, a year ago, again, another thing Hawks fans will know, Trey Young drops like 50 on the Pacers and it took them till after halftime till they finally started blitzing. And in that scenario, you know, the Hawks didn't have some of the offensive weapons that they have now. It was like, how about you start forcing the ball out of his hands to somebody else? But they were just very reluctant to move their bigs up out of those drops, um, there were also times where like Aaron holiday would get targeted last year. And I would really want them to scram out those mismatches, especially against the heat and the playoffs when he was getting into early foul trouble and that they just weren't going to be very innovative in that sense, even though their defense overall, I think had a higher floor than stuff that like the Pacers are doing now. And some of that's because I just think the Pacers are cycling through so many different coverages and it's not really the best season to be doing that when you don't have a lot of practice time and maybe some of that'll come. But he wasn't super adaptable, but he knew how to drill the type of scheme they were going to play. So to hide a guy like Trey Young, if you need to on certain possessions, might get a little bit interesting because the Pacers didn't really want to move around in cases where guys were guarding or didn't want to scram out when there was, you know, size mismatches. So that's definitely something to monitor with McMillan the longer he's there. Yeah, actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you, and you know, we can get into this stuff forever, but the Hawks have been fairly aggressive at getting particularly Capella up at the level of screens, and I'm wondering if that's going to change now, and you kind of got into it there with the way they dropped their bigs in Indiana. One of Capella's strengths is the fact that he can move. He's a really pretty, uh, pretty agile center, especially in a straight line. So it sounds like long-term, McMillan might be more averse to that, but I guess right now it might be harder for him to do that because the Hawks have been pretty aggressive so far defensively. So that's one of those unanswerable questions, but uh, it's just interesting to hear you say that because I was literally one of the questions I was going to ask you is like, will they let Capella kind of do what he's been doing so far? And I guess the answer is maybe not (laughs) long-term. Right. Well, with Miles Turner, they were somewhat adaptable to it. When he's out there at the five, 
they they would play him at the level, not as much as they are this year, but they, they would play him up. And, and if it was, you know, they didn't do it quick enough against Trey Young, but like if they're playing like a Dame or a Kemba, they would blitz that some and have him get out and above the level to mix in different looks. But generally speaking, they wanted to play in a drop. So I wouldn't be surprised like if, if he feels like, like you say, like Clint Capella can in theory switch out a little bit. Like I, you're not going to switch every one five, but he sure. can play higher. So um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nate McMillan didn't leave that the way that it is. Yeah. Especially because it's so quick turnaround. Like, you know, you, they're going to have one practice, I think, between. I know I know they had the All-Star break, and coaches could kind of sit around and tinker and figure out stuff, but I think people don't understand this. The Hawks are, I think, going to practice once over the All-Star break. All right. So go ahead and implement everything, you know? It's going to change the whole system in one in one, uh, in one day. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember I even read something down there out of Atlanta where before Lloyd Pierce had been let go, I think he revealed that they had had, like, four full practices the entire season, which oh, I don't yeah. think is uncharacteristic for most teams. I mean, you're just not going to be practicing guys a lot when you're playing back-to-backs and every other night. Yeah, this is this is the wrong season to have to make uh, big sweeping changes. They're just not practice time. And, uh, you know, with everything, you have to travel. Even on days where you used to be able to practice, between all of the testing they have to do and the, uh, the restrictions, it's a lot harder to get into a gym. And you basically would hear, I'm sure you've heard this too in Indiana, but anytime they can practice, it's like they s- almost celebrate it in the media after the practice. When they do their typical post-media, post-practice media, like they're just so happy that they actually got to practice. I'm talking about the coaching staff more than anything, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious to, to hear them talk about it like it's a huge landmark occasion. It's like, oh, we had a practice today, and they're really excited. It's funny. No, that yeah, I mean that. What's funny about that is um, the Pacers were playing Brogdon and Sabonis really big minutes for the majority of the first half of the season, where it wasn't uncommon for them to be seeing 39 and 40 minutes. And Nate Bjorkman has taken some heat for that, and he was like, "Well, people don't understand that there's other ways to load manage guys, and we're having really light practices, and that's that's how we're doing it. We're not doing a lot at shootarounds or whatever. We're doing more film." I'm like, I don't really think that's uncommon for most teams, so um, I'm not really sure that's a reason for why you can play somebody 40 minutes a game. But. <laughs> that is a uh, pretty dubious, I think, uh, but alas, that happens sometimes. Um, I think that's probably all I need to, uh, in terms of keeping your time, I will ask you one final thing, you know, put yourself in a, in a Hawks fan shoes, not, not to evaluate Lloyd Pierce really, but just to, you know, knowing that they're about to inherit Nate McMillan for at least a half season, maybe longer. How would you be feeling about that? Like what are, what should Hawks fans be feeling? Is Nate McMillan uh, a capital G good basketball coach on this level? Like it's kind of a broad question, but I mean it that way, just because that, that way you can sort of share what your, uh, what your brain thinks about this, but how should uh, a Hawks fan feel about their uh, new interim head coach? Right. So I think that Nate McMillan is definitely a floor raiser. I think that what he does on the defensive end, the way that he coaches effort, you can expect to get more um, out of guys. But I think that there's somewhat a limited ceiling. I mean, I don't know how he's amended his approach with like the mid range. I mean, he's definitely a coach who prefers to get open shots versus generating, you know, threes or getting more looks at the rim. That was another thing that the Pacers, you know, wanted to change whenever they moved over to Bjorkren. So, I mean, there were some signs that he was willing to adapt to that. I mean, TJ Warren in the bubble obviously became Mr. Bubble, was averaging like 35 points a game. And he said, you know, a big part of that was that he had expanded his game to the three-point line. And when he was asked, you know, you're taking almost seven threes per game, at what changed? He said, you know, Nate McMillan told me during the hiatus that I really needed to incorporate that and become it more of a my and make it more of my game. So 
that that was a minor sign to me that he was willing to see the value of the three point line and 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 you can go back and forth on that like in the Cavs series um during Oladipo's first year with the Pacers they got into trouble with that through the middle three games where you know now these mid-range shots aren't falling and there's no there's nowhere else for them to go they don't get to the line they don't take threes but then the flip side of that is you know if you're a team that's really just looking to generate those threes and teams scheme to take that away then they already were comfortable at mid-range. They had guys that could, you know, take a pull up to and find a shot. So there's some give or take there, but I think that there was reason for the Pacers to move on based on, you know, they had gotten swept three of the last four years, and that's not all on McMillan. There was injuries, but I think it would be good. I mean, it's good that he's the interim right now. You can evaluate and see sort of what his approach is, how guys respond and move on from there. But I mean, I think that Nate McMillan can coach. I think he can get player development. There was, you know, Victor Oladipo became an all-star coached by Nate McMillan. Sabonis became an all-star after, you know, being used more as a makeshift stretch for an OKC. Nate McMillan put the ball in his hands, um, let him run more offense as a five. And that was huge in his development as well. So um, I think that Hawks fans should be, should be tentatively excited <laughs> about it. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Honestly, that's kind of what I've thought and I think tried to express is that there is some safety here. I think you know that Nate McMillan is not a bad NBA head coach. That There's something to be said for that. Um, the uncertainty level is always pretty high with a new a first-time head coach. And with this guy, he's got you know, 15, 16 years of experience of being pretty good. And you know the playoffs are maybe something different. And obviously, that, that's a, kind of a good problem for the Hawks to have. They haven't been in the playoffs for quite some time now. And they're not, assert- and they're not assured to be there th- th- this year either. But um, that's sort of a bridge to cross later on. I think they're in pretty safe hands is my general thought as well. And I, I, I feel pretty much the same after listening to you now for, for a half hour is like, you know, I think they're going to be okay here. And uh, the upside is kind of the question, but we'll uh, see how that approaches uh, as we come to it, I guess. Yep. That's what that's definitely summarizes my long winded soliloquy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I pre- listen. This is a podcast. That's what they're for. Uh, well, Caitlin, thank you very much for doing this. Please uh, take a minute and plug anything you, that you have going on. Uh, as I said, I think earlier, and I know before I brought you in, I am I am a consumer of your content. You do a fantastic job. So I wanted to say that publicly before you had to say it. But um, please share anything that you have uh, going right now. Even if it's just Pacer stuff, Hawks fans can go learn from you, even if they don't love the Pacers. <laughs> right. So I'm at Indy Cornrows, which is the SB Nation Indiana Pacers blog. And I usually have about one or two things there. The most recent thing I had, if people want to learn stuff about Joel Embiid, I looked at how the Pacers double teamed him and how it didn't go over so well. <laughs> and the most recent loss that they had up in Philadelphia. Um, and then my Twitter handle, if they want to follow me there, is at C2 underscore Cooper. I recommend that at the highest level. And uh, again, thank you, Caitlin, very much for doing this. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you all next time.